The grave is empty. He is risen. What it meant for them, it means for us. The challenge of any gathering at Good Friday or any gathering at Easter is, well, what does it mean for us? We know the story. We, we know that Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He did miracles. He taught about God. He took our sin on the cross. He died. He was buried. He came back to life. What are you doing this afternoon? What are you doing tomorrow, next week? We just move on so quickly. It's so hard for us to put ourselves in that place that that we saw in the video, to be that excited, to be that happy that Jesus died and came back to life. And I wonder if part of the reason for that is we know the story, but do we know, have we grappled with the implications? What it meant for them, meaning the disciples in that first generation, it means for us. Well, what did it mean for them? What does it mean for us? I wonder if in the church we have done a very good job of talking about forgiveness, a very good job about talking about the removal of guilt and sin and shame, a very good job about talking about the fact that we will go to heaven when we die. But I wonder if we've done as good a job at reckoning with the promise of resurrection. What it meant for them, it means for us. What does it mean? It means, and I want you to hear this, it means that though we will die, our bodies will stop working. Every one of us will die. Of course, unless Christ returns. We live in a society where we push death aside. We're not going to be that excited about resurrection if we have forgotten that we're going to die. Every one of us will die. And I wonder if we have reckoned with or wrestled with resurrection. We can talk about going to heaven, and that's good, but it's so abstract. But what I'll tell you what is not abstract is this, and this is a promise that God is making to each one of us who believe. When we put our bodies in the ground in death, He will raise those bodies up in life and glory have we really wrestled with and embraced and and taken in the the fact of our own resurrection from the dead you see jesus died for our sins and he was resurrected for our resurrection he he blazed a trail for humanity today what i want us to look at is well what do you mean we're going to be raised from the dead what, what, what does it mean that our bodies are going to be raised from the dead? We've been talking about this for weeks, and I still wonder if we get it. What kind of body will we have? What does it mean that my body that is buried will come back to life? That's the question that we're going to look at today. Would you pray with me as we take a look at this most amazing promise of God? And I, I truly believe that if we if we can grasp even the beginning of this promise, it will change everything about our life. It'll change everything about our witness. 
It'll create boldness in us to go out and to share the love, the grace, and the resurrection of God in Christ. Let's pray. Oh God, I pray that you would help us to really receive the good news of resurrection. Resurrection from death to life, dead bodies becoming living bodies. Jesus Christ nailed to a cross, coming out of the tomb in the same body. Us dying and being buried and coming back in real bodies. I pray for the church, help us to to grasp the central message of the gospel and the hope of Easter. Help me to preach. And help this church to receive your preaching. And help any, anyone here who's a guest, maybe not, doesn't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, help them to see the greatness of the promise of resurrection. And I pray that your spirit would make them hungry for resurrection, that they would cry out in faith today and be saved. Unto resurrection from the dead, eternal life in bodies. I pray this, glorify yourself. Show us Christ. Lead us by your Spirit. In the name of our risen King, I pray. Amen. Central to the gospel is our resurrection from the dead. Bodily, physical resurrection from the dead. This is crazy, right? We all know that. This is crazy. This is crazy talk. You can't just stand up and tell people that they're going to die and you'll bury their bodies and then that body's going to come back to life. That just doesn't make sense. And surely, if we're being honest in our heart of hearts, someone here, maybe many of us here, are asking, yeah, right, how are the dead raised? How is that even possible? Ten years on, a hundred years on, a thousand years on, two thousand years after someone died. In the case of Adam, six thousand years. God's going to raise him back to life? Where's his remains? And a related question, well, what kind of body is going to be raised from the dead? You're talking about a ghost, right? You're talking about an ethereal spiritual resurrection. And we're going to look at the word spiritual, right? Because we're told that we're going to have spiritual bodies. And I think that's part of why we go in the absolute wrong direction in understanding resurrection, because we misunderstand the use of the word spiritual. We think, oh, sure, God. How is this possible? Well, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. You know, we're not the first people to think that the doctrine of the resurrection is crazy, it's always been difficult to believe. I, sometimes, sometimes we in our modern arrogance think, well, primitive people, you know, people 2,000 years ago, it was easier for them to believe that somebody would come back to life. That's not true. It was just as difficult. People still died and stayed dead 2,000 years ago. It's always been hard to believe in resurrection. And so these very questions are the exact same questions that they were asking 2,000 years ago in Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to begin in verse 35. And rather than read the whole thing, I'm going to read it as we unpack it. Paul has just said, Jesus Christ died and rose again. Likewise, we will die and rise again. And then he anticipates the opposition, the questioning, 
And he says in verse 35, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Those are good questions. In fact, if you don't ask that question, I wonder if you've even wrestled with the doctrine. That, that these are necessary questions. Take a look at how Paul responds, though, in the next verse, verse 36. Oh, you foolish person. You know, in the Greek, it's a, a little bit harder. You fool! But we're Canadian, so we'll go with you foolish person. It's a little easier to swallow. Paul says, you're not thinking. You're thinking rationally when you ask those questions. They're good questions. They're rational questions. They're the right questions. But they're not spiritually informed questions. They're not questions that, that demonstrate an understanding of who God is uh, or his power or his creativity. And so from here, Paul is going to go forward and say, if you know who God is, if, if you've wrestled with who you, you believe God to be, then resurrection from the dead, not only is it not crazy, it's necessary. It's the necessary outflowing of who God is and what God has done in Christ. If he's raised Christ from the dead, it's necessary for him to raise us from the dead. Let me ask you a few questions. Under the right conditions, so I recognize if I don't have a green thumb, this might not happen, but let's just give me the benefit of the doubt. I'm an excellent farmer. I'm a great gardener. It's not true, but let's just pretend. If I plant an acorn under the right conditions, what will happen to that acorn? What will it become? An oak tree. That that is not self-evident. Anyone who knows that that is to be true, it's because you've learned it. Somebody has shown you in some way that this acorn has all the, the data and information required to make an oak tree. If I just give you an acorn and you've never learned or heard about plants, you don't know anything about oak trees and acorns, and I then take you to an oak tree and say it's the same thing, you're going to say, that's crazy. You're crazy. And then I would have to prove it to you. I'd have to show you that, no, in fact, God has created a world in which you can put acorns in the ground and out from the ground come oak trees. What about a pumpkin seed? If I put pumpkin seeds 110 days later, if I put pumpkin seeds in the ground 110 days later, I'm told, it says it on the package, that 110 days later, I will have what? A pumpkin patch. That's crazy. You see those seeds? They're delicious. But I doubt they're going to become vines overflowing with pumpkins. That's what happens. What about a kernel of wheat? If you just take the head of wheat and you take a kernel, it's very small. And you just drop that in the ground. You get, get a bunch of them. Get a big machine to do it and take 100 acres and just pull a bunch of these things in the ground, what are you going to get? You're going to get a wheat field. What we're learning, this is just basic principle, principle, basic botanical principle. Each seed becomes a particular kind of body, just as God intended each one. A pumpkin seed is not going to become an oak tree. 
An acorn is not going to become a pumpkin patch, but an acorn will become an oak tree, a pumpkin seed will become a pumpkin patch, and a kernel of wheat will become a wheat field. This is exactly what Paul says here if we keep reading in verse 36. What you sow, that is what you plant in the ground, does not come to life unless it dies. It has to cease being a seed. And what you sow, that is the thing that you put in the ground, is not the body that it is to be but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. This is how God created the universe. Seeds become plants. Each seed has a particular kind of body. Now just as botanical seeds have distinct bodies according to their kinds, so also biological seeds have distinct bodies according to their kinds. Human beings, we all come from a seed. I just want you to think back to the first time you learned about this. You know that awkward bee, birds and the bees conversation? What? The, I came about how? Th that's crazy. In fact, it's disgusting. I don't want to even know about it. Like if you're a young child. That, that's ridiculous. And then if you get into the even the more technical part of that conversation, a sperm and an egg becomes a human being? Are you kidding me? That is not self-evident. If I could bring uh, uh, one sperm and one egg and just show them to you, and I said, this is, I put them together and it's, it's one of us. Unless you know something about the birds and the bees, you're going to think I'm crazy. But I'm not crazy. That's how God has decided to do it. From human seeds come human beings. Same thing with animals. Different kinds of animal seeds become different kinds of animals. Same thing with birds. Different kinds of bird seeds, but not the kind of bird seed that you feed to a bird, but the seed from a bird becomes different kinds of birds. Same with fish. Different kinds of fish seeds become different kinds of fish. And you know what's interesting? That each kind of body is suited for a particular kind of environment. Human beings, we, we can fashion an environment where we can live in, in it always because we're rational creatures. Animals need to live on the land. Birds can fly in the air. And fish can swim in the sea. So God creates different kinds of bodies for different kinds of environments. Each seed becomes a particular kind of body fit for a particular kind of life just as God intends it. That's exactly what Paul continues here to say in uh, verse 39. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. Now Paul's not done his uh, biological and astronomical lesson here. He goes on, he says, we've talked about plants, we've talked about animals, now I want to talk about the sun, moon, and stars. All of these things, by the way, come from the same God. He has created all things according to his plan and purpose. Just as there are different kinds of earthly bodies, botanical and biological plants, human, animal, fish, and birds, so also there are heavenly bodies. 
Take a look at verse 40. There are heavenly bodies as well as earthly bodies. And just as humans are different than animals, birds, or fish, and each body, whether it be a biological body of these different kinds of creatures or plant bodies with different functions and purposes in creation, each one fit for a different environment. A cactus grows in, in a particular environment, a palm tree in another environment, and then you have maple trees in different environments. So also heavenly bodies have different degrees of glory. The brightest from Earth's point of view is the sun, then the moon, and then the stars. And that's exactly what Paul says here. There's one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. Now this is a lot of information. I thought this was about resurrection. So far, I've learned about plants, agriculture, I've learned about biology, humans and animals, and I've learned about the sun, moon, and stars. What, what does this have to do with resurrection? What's the point? The point that Paul is making, and he's laying a groundwork for understanding uh, the resurrection of our bodies from the dead. And so let's just recap, summarize this groundwork. God has created many different kinds of bodies and different kinds of earthly bodies. But notice in, in, when it comes to earthly bodies, every earthly body, whether it be a plant, a human, an animal, a fish, or a bird, all earthly bodies start out as seeds. Each earthly body, as I said, is fit for a distinct function and environment. And just as God has created different earthly bodies, he's also created many different kinds of heavenly bodies. And, and this is a really important step that he makes from plants to animals is a sort of a half step. When he goes from earthly bodies to heavenly bodies, that's a big step. And he's making a distinction. There's a, a difference, a distinction uh, that is much greater between uh, an oak tree and a human being in some ways than earthly bodies and heavenly bodies. There's a difference. Earthly bodies cannot live in outer space. And heavenly bodies cannot live on earth. If you just brought the sun down and laid it here in Barrie, Ontario, we're incinerated. It just can't happen. You can't, if the moon crashed to the earth, then the earth isn't going to function anymore. So we each have our own realm. And as I said, each heavenly body has a different degree of glory. Paul says then, if we can affirm all this about this creation, things that are self-evident to us after we have a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of education, what's our problem with resurrection? Why is that so hard to believe? The things that I've just shared with you are fantastic in and of themselves. They don't seem fantastic because we've seen it. Right? We've seen acorns become oak trees. We've seen human seed become babies. And we've seen babies grow up into teenagers. Oh, and then we, we see them grow up hopefully into adults. We've seen it. So it doesn't strike us as odd. But we haven't seen anybody raised from the dead. Or have we? 
You and I, we haven't, but someone has. We have eyewitness testimony. More than 500 people saw a man die and come back to life. They've seen it. They, when they saw the resurrected Jesus, it was, it, all of a sudden it all clicked. It all made sense. Of course God can do that because they saw it with their own eyes. They experienced it. Asking us to believe in resurrection is like asking someone who has never seen an acorn grow into an oak tree just to believe that that happens. You see, God in creation has shown us his power and his pattern. He, he is powerful to create. And he has a pattern on which he creates all things. Take a look at uh, verse 42. Paul now is bridging. He says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. If you understand these things about creation, then just understand that it's the exact same principles at work when we get to the resurrection from the dead. Well, what do you mean so it is with the resurrection of the dead? Isn't it a greater thing to, to bring uh, Jesus back from the dead, to bring us back from the dead, than it is to bring an oak tree from an acorn? Well, it is a greater thing, but it's, it's based on the same creative power and the same creative pattern. So what Paul means by this is two things, and this is what we're going to look at, each of these things, and then we'll be done. What do you mean, so it is with the resurrection of the dead? The first thing that we mean is this, that the transition from death in this body, my body will die to life in a resurrection, bo resurrection body, this body will be raised back to life, is like, he likens it to, the transition from a seed to a body. Which means that the bodies we're in now are like seeds. Cemeteries, a Christian graveyard is a seeding ground. And the harvest is resurrection. He says if you can just get your head around the transition from seed to body, whether it be plant, animal, or human, that's what it's like to be raised from the dead. The second thing that Paul says, the transition from death in this body to life in a resurrection body is like the transition from an earthly body to a heavenly body. Now don't get confused. That doesn't mean we become ghosts. It's the same body that you put in the ground that will be raised back to life. And we're going to talk about that as we flesh this out. So let's take a look at the first one. The transition from death in this body to life in a resurrection body is like the transition from a seed to a body, from an acorn to an oak tree, from a human seed to a human being. Take a look at verse 42. We'll repeat the first part. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable, that is what is planted, put in the ground perishable, it, it's raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Now this is where we get in trouble with this whole spiritual body. So first, and this is absolutely essential if we're going to understand our resurrection from the dead. First, we have to reckon with and identify the continuity. Before we talk about the discontinuity, 
We have to talk about the continuity. What do I mean by continuity? What is the same? What continues? Discontinuity. What is different? What is added to? Let's take a look at continuity first. Paul says, that which is sown, that is what is planted in the ground, that is what is raised. Continuity. Acorns become oak trees, dead bodies become resurrected bodies. The body that we plant in the ground is the body that will be raised back to life. And God will start in establishing our resurrected bodies with whatever remains there are. And and if our remains are lost to the elements, in in a way known only to God, he'll find them. That nothing will thwart him. We can't destroy our remains to the point where God can't retrieve them and, and raise them back to life. But what, there's continuity. It, there's something the same. The acorn itself becomes the oak tree. Without an acorn, you don't have an oak tree. You don't plant an acorn here and then an oak tree come out of the ground over there. Why? Because there's continuity. It's... Th- the, the oak tree is the acorn. And so what I want us to really wrestle with is that the bodies that we're in now are the foundation and the, the beginnings of the bodies we will live in forever. God is going to redeem and restore and raise up this body, which is why planting your body in the ground is a great witness to the hope we have of resurrection, that God will raise that body from the ground. Now, there is discontinuity. So that's continuity. The very same bodies that we put in the ground are the bodies that will come out of the ground. Let's just think about Jesus, sorry, before I go to discontinuity. What was it that came out of the tomb on Easter morning? The same body that was nailed to the cross. So it is with us. It's these bodies that will be raised back to life. And if if I'm being redundant, it's because I I just think we don't get it. I could say that five times and you leave here and say, I can't wait for my ghost-like body. No, it's this body that you're in that's going to be raised up. But let's talk about discontinuity. That is, what's different, what's added? There is a transition from the lesser to the greater. That which you put in the ground is lesser than that which comes out of the ground. Uh, an, o- an acorn is less than an oak tree. Uh, somehow, with a little bit of sunlight and a little bit of water, from that little acorn comes this giant mighty oak. There's physicality added. There's substance added. There's glory added. Acorns become oak trees. That which is perishable, these bodies grow old, grow sick, grow weak, grow tired, and die. That's perishability. The bodies we're in now are perishable. That which God will raise from the, the dead will be imperishable. Glory added, substance added. What we sow is we sow in dishonor. We all die because we sin. What's going to be raised back to life will have no inclination to sin. That's glory added. 
That which we put in the ground is put in the ground in weakness. None of us can will ourselves to live 200 years. We're too weak. But that which is raised from the dead is raised in power. Eternal glory and power to live forever in a physical body. That which is sown in the ground is natural. But what is raised from the dead is spiritual. This is where I might lose you. This is where you say, oh, I'm going to be like Casper the friendly ghost then. I was natural in, in flesh and blood and, and bones, but I'm going to become a ghost. No. Stay with me. No, that's not what Paul means by a spiritual body. We have been misinformed. We have been misguided. We've bought into uh, Greek philosophy. Platonic higher levels of existence. It's called Gnostic heresy which says that we need to escape the physical. The physical is bad. The physical is evil. The physical will, will come to an end. God's not going to do a, a, an end with his physical. He's going to raise the physical. Uh, but he's not going to raise the physical to be like the physical that we know. He's going to add superphysicality to it. That's what a spiritual body is. Let's just explore this a little bit more. What is a spiritual body? This is where we make the mistake. It's not less than a natural body it's more so if you look here there should be a, a slide that shows us it's not working okay so it, there's a transition from ethereal body that would be like a ghost the bodies that we're in now are more substantial than a ghost could you agree with me there there's more physicality to the body that you're in now than the body of a ghost. For a spiritual body, you have to go one more step. A spiritual body doesn't go back to the ethereal ghost-like body. It goes one more step to a superphysical body. A spiritual body has substance added. So you think you're solid now, you can feel yourself, flesh, bones. You're like a ghost compared to the body you're going to have, not the other way around. That's what a spiritual body is like. You know, I, I, we often wonder, and we're going to take a look at this briefly, when Jesus was raised from the dead, he could appear and disappear. He could walk through the stone wall of the tomb. He could walk through walls and, and just enter into rooms. And so we conjure up in our minds, he's like a ghost. But let me just ask you, when you, on a foggy day, when you're driving down the road and you're in your car, does the fog pass through you or do you pass through the fog? You're like, what do you, what do you mean? Well, that of greater substance passes through that with lesser substance. In order for Jesus to walk through walls, walk through rock, etc., it's that the world in which we inhabit now is like a fog in its substance compared to the heavy physicality of the resurrected Christ. So he walks through a door, say, not because he's less substantial than the door, but because the door is like a mist compared to him. We've got it exactly backwards most of the time. 
Let's take a look at Christ's body because it, you might say, well, I've never seen a resurrected body. I've seen an acorn become an oak tree, so it makes sense. I've never seen a resurrected body, but the Bible tells us what a resurrected body is like. Just listen as I read for, for you from Luke 24, verses 36 to 43. As they were talking about these things, this is on the very first Easter morning, the very first resurrected resurrection Sunday. Jesus himself stood among them. We don't know if he just appeared or if he walked through the door. It doesn't matter. And he said to his disciples, peace to you. But they were startled and they were frightened and they thought that they saw a spirit. Now this is confusing because the way Luke is using the word spirit is different than the way Paul uses the word spirit. But I'll, I'll show you that Paul and, and Luke agree because what they mean is, I think we've seen a ghost. And Jesus is very concerned that they know that he is not a ghost. Verse 38, he says, and he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands, see my feet, that it is I myself, meaning this is my body that was crucified. If this was a ghost, I don't need to have holes in my ghosty hands. It is I myself, the same body that was crucified. This is the body that stands before you right now. He wanted them to see with their eyes. But that wasn't enough. We're not, it's not sure. Maybe our eyes are playing tricks on us. So he says, touch me and see. For a spirit, a ghost, does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. I have flesh. I have bones. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieve for joy and marveling, so, so they see him, they're touching him, and just picture that. They're, they're pressing themselves up. They're putting their fingers in the holes. They're putting their hands in the side where the spear was. They can feel him. They can see him. They know that this is not a ghost, but they saw him die. They saw him wrapped up. They saw him buried. They couldn't believe it. They think, well, maybe, maybe we're just making this up because we want it to be true. And so then he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of fish. And he took it. And he ate it before them. Was he hungry? No. Why did he eat it? Ghosts don't eat broiled fish. But resurrected people do. He had teeth that could take the fish and chew it up. A mouth to ingest, a throat to swallow, a stomach to receive. This is the body of Christ. Not in the sense of the church, but his own actual body. Now we could read other passages to show the differences. I'll just allude to them. In verses 28 to 31, read Luke 24 this today. It's just a marvelous chapter. Yeah. For whatever reason, he had previously shown up to two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they couldn't recognize him. They didn't know who he was. Now, I might say, well, why? How would they not know who he was? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us, but it might have been that the glory that was added to him made him, in some ways, look different. And if you read Revelation 1, that's a very different-looking Jesus, so while there's continuity, it's the same body, the same Jesus that is alive. There is so much glory added 
that in some ways it might have changed his appearance. Not his features, but his appearance. Maybe he was just radiant. Or maybe God just blinded their eyes. We don't know. But then after they recognized who he was, he vanished. He disappeared. We, do, we can't do that in our bodies now. But again, I don't know how he did that, but there's some qualitative difference, some additional glory, some additional abilities given. And then if you go to his ascension, his resurrected body was able to fly. I know it doesn't say that he flew, but I like, it sounds cooler to say that he flew. But what do you you call rising up from the earth and being hidden by a cloud? That's flying, right? He just took off. It was hidden by a cloud. We can't fly. We can't even float if you prefer floating. We can't ascend. Not yet. But we will. So you see, there are differences as well as similarities, but what I want to emphasize is that it's a physical resurrection. Secondly, the transition from death in this body to life in a resurrected body is like the transition from an earthly body to a heavenly body. And we go back to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 44. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it's not spiritual that is first, but the natural. And then the spiritual. If there's a natural body, then there's a spiritual body. If there's an acorn, then under the right conditions, there's an oak tree. But how do you get from the acorn to the oak tree? Well, you start with the natural body, the seed. You plant the seed, and under the right conditions, it becomes an oak tree. So what's our acorn? What's our seed? What's our natural body? Our natural body is the body that we inherit from Adam. You might ask the question, what was Adam like? He was just like us. We would recognize him as one of us. We inherit our natural body from Adam. Even Jesus inherited a natural body from Adam. He was a descendant of Adam. To become a spiritual body, the natural body has to die and be raised. Because of sin, we've ruined our natural bodies. They need to die and then be raised up. So just as we plant an acorn, it has to cease being an acorn in order to become an oak tree. And an oak tree is raised up from that acorn. So also, our spiritual bodies, which are super physical bodies, come from our natural bodies. There's a transition from our seed, our natural body, to our spiritual body. And Jesus is the first fruits of this transition from natural to spiritual. This is kind of a recap of what we've looked at already. But there's discontinuity. Take a look at verse 47 to 50. The first man was from the earth, a man of the dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, so also we shall bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of 
God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. The difference between an acorn and an oak tree is too small a thing to try and get our heads around what God has promised us in resurrection. What God has promised us in resurrection is more like this. Embrace yourself from this. It's more like putting an acorn in the ground and from that acorn comes the sun. Do you see the depth of this promise? From an acorn comes the sun. From a natural body comes a spiritual body. Exactly. The glory that we will have will be akin to the stars in the heavens. I, want to re- I had 1 John 3 first, but I want to read Daniel 12, verses 2 and 3. This is the promise. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now look at this. This is Daniel 12, 3. And those who are wise, that is those who will give Jesus Christ their sin, trust in him for their resurrection, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. We shall become like the stars, so great will our glory be. You know, God dwells in inapproachable light and God will raise us into bodies that will be fit for dwelling in the light that is inapproachable. Just hear what I'm saying. Light that we cannot approach now because our bodies are too weak. If we were to approach the light in which God dwells, we would be incinerated, we would be destroyed, we would be blown apart. But God will raise our bodies and make them of such substance that he will call for us to enter into the light that is inapproachable. Because he will give us bodies that are fit and capable of existing in the full presence and glory of God. Now I wish I could tell you what this is going to be like, but I can't. But I know it's going to be wonderful. I know it's going to be great. But I can tell you this, and John was wrestling with this in 1 John 3. He says, look, we're from God. Whoever knows, uh, sorry, 1 John 3. Beloved, we are God's children now. So yes, we're already God's children. This is where most Christians stop. Good, I have everything that I need. When I die, I'm going to go to heaven. I have the status. And I'll float up in heaven like, like an ethereal spirit with no body. That's not what, where John stops. He continues, and what we will be in resurrection, has not yet appeared. But we know that when he, that is Christ, appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. Jesus was raised physically. We will be raised physically. He was raised in glory. We will be raised in glory. Which brings us to our last challenging 
This is again where we go wrong so often in our thinking about resurrection. In verse 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the perishable. When you just read that quickly, it sounds like we're going to become ghosts, doesn't it? Isn't that how we've read it? But having listened to this sermon and seen the promises of physical resurrection from the dead, it can't mean that. So what does Paul mean? He does not mean that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven because flesh and blood is too physical for the kingdom of God. That's not what he means. What he means is flesh and blood, the physical bodies that we have now, cannot inherit the kingdom of God because these bodies are not physical enough. These bodies are too ghost-like to inherit the world in which God promises to give us. And we know that because he goes on, he says, the perishable cannot inherit the imperishable. That is a transition from lesser to greater, not greater to lesser. We are going to something greater, not something lesser. And the physical world that we see around us now is not too physical for where we're going. It's like a mist compared to the new heavens and the new earth in which we will live forever in glorified, resurrected bodies. We need more body. We need more glory. We need more super physicality. I think I made that word up, but I like it. Super physicality. That's what we need, and that's what God has promised to give us. Today we celebrate resurrection. Jesus died, he was buried, and his body was raised in glory. By grace through faith, we will die, but we too will be raised from the dead unto eternal, imperishable, glorious, powerful, super physical life that will never end. So if you don't like the body you're in now, you're, you're going to live in that body forever, but all of the weaknesses, all of the imperfections, all of the things that bring us down physically will be gone. Now, imagine we go out into the world and we don't worry about sounding crazy and we just tell people, I have a promise for you. You can live forever. Not like a ghost, but in a body. I think that's wor a, a word and a, a message that God will honor and it's what this world needs to hear. If we could just go out and share the glory and the promise of resurrection, God will do a great work among us. Jesus Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Let's pray. Oh God, I pray that you would help us to understand how it is that we can be raised from the dead. I pray that this would give us such joy to know that we're in our worst body now. But after a short sleep in the dust of the earth, you will raise our bodies up in glory and we will live in super physical bodies forever and ever. We thank you that you have done this through Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Creator, and our King. In his name we pray. Amen.